This is Planted, a podcast that encourages us to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and established in the faith. Today, Pastor Matt leads us through God's handling of Israel after the Golden Calf Incident. How will God demonstrate both judgment and mercy while upholding His covenant promises? Hey everyone, it's Pastor Matt Grimm again here with Thad Keenel in the Plano Podcast. And we are picking back up on our conversation here in Exodus as we continue to look at the narrative scope of the origin of the people of Israel in the Old Testament. Uh, and so as we do that, as we think about even just our last conversation, Thad, um, when you think of the people of God today uh, who bear the name of God, who would you say that is? Well, I think the easiest thing to say who that is is the church. Okay. Because the New Testament points to the church, but I think it's more it's more defined than that. All right. Because the church is further defined as a group of people called Israel. Mm-hmm. Right? And what aspect does that mean? Because there's there's some Israel that's rejected the Messiah. Yeah. Right? And then there's the gospel message that first went to Jerusalem, Judea, and then Samaria, which is right. kind of a, a half-Israel type thing, right? And then to the outer reaches of the earth. So what does that all look like? Right. And we know that the gospel message went forth, but does the does this age that we live in from the time of Pentecost to, to the future, is that, is that a different aspect of what... Israel is right. You know, so there's, you have to kind of, you either have to be juggling things or you have to unify them. Right. And so how do we do that? We have to do that through what the scriptures tell us. And to me, um, I'm always going to be drawn towards the things that speak specifically of the seed of promise. Right. Right. Now I know that I have friends and people I know who come from a, a different perspective when it comes to the people of God in Israel, that there's two people, they would say there's two peoples of God. There is the church and there is still Israel. Uh, and they see there's a separation there. And they will sometimes accuse me or even authors who, or, or scholars who take the different views will accuse covenant theologians, which I would be one, of re- what they call replacement theology, where they say that you're saying that the church has replaced Israel. Right. And, and I counter that and say, no, I don't believe that. I believe that the church is the fulfillment of Israel because the church is defined by its head, who is Jesus. Okay. So if, if, if I'm, as, as it says in Ephesians 1, you know, Jesus, who is raised and seated at the right hand of God, I mean, he became the head of the church. Um, and so, uh, in other places where we see that, that Jesus is our head, we, we define who we are as the church by Jesus. And Jesus is out of Israel. Jesus is an Israelite. He's the true Israelite. So we talked last time about looking at Israel as the corporate Adam. And now we see, looking ahead, we see Jesus as the true Israel, as, as the second Adam and the true Israel that in him, he represents humanity, and he represents the called-out redeemed people of God uh, to who bring it to the nations and restore all things. He is that. And so uh, I think what part of the reason we're tracing this narrative, and we're going to go back to Exodus to see and look to the parallels that are there, is that I don't believe the church has replaced Israel. I believe the church is the fulfillment of and is grafted into Israel. And we'll look at Romans at some point here in this podcast in the future. But but right. keeping that in mind, I think, is very important as we come back and address these Exodus things. Right. And I think it might be important to say, because we you've brought up this difference of opinion that may create a little bit of friction, but it might be... Um, these are kind of the polemics of, of our faith, right? Yeah, they right. don't they don't separate our our fellowship with believers typically, or right. or, or they shouldn't. They, but the the aspect of the promises to Israel for those who who look at 
the promises to Israel and the promises to church is, is kind of two different things. Good on them for taking seriously the promises that God makes to a particular people. Yes. Right? Because they know as well as we do that the promises of God cannot fail. Right. Now, the thing that we are doing is we are reconciling those differently according to the scriptures in, in the covenant relationship instead of periods of time that would be called dispensations right. or whatnot. And so, and I've come from that background, by the way, so I, so I, it's, it's easy for me to see right. where they're coming from, but what, what I have found, and I'm not saying that I'm hundred percent right, you know, but you do the best that you can, but the way that you really do the best that you can is when you harmonize the scriptures and you let the whole counsel of God speak to it and things that speak specifically to the nation of Israel, like Ephesians, where God specifically says that he has brought down that middle wall of separation. Right. That used to separate the Jews from the Gentiles, right? And he has made of the two one. Wow. Yeah. This is something that I can hold on to as a solid thing. And if I say, well, there's more promise to be fulfilled in Israel in the future, then that two of one has to then again be divided. Yeah. And and so these are these are things that I find an inconsistency with. And so our our goal here is to go all the way back which we've been doing, looking at Israel, right. and we're going to get to that eventually yeah. and, and be able to um, look at all those important verses that, that point to that. And without dragging it out too long, the idea is that we are we are really um, trying to reconcile the whole counsel of God right. in, in a harmonious fashion. And since we're dealing with a God of covenants, that's the way that we like to do it. Yeah. And, and the other thing that I think one benefit along the way, hopefully for you and me and, and hopefully for the listeners as well, is as the Planted Podcast where we want to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God and meditated on it day and night, as Psalm 1 tells us, right, to be planted by streams of water through the promises of the Word, is that hopefully we're just getting to know our Bible better through all this too, right? Because <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I'm having to re-remember some things and relearn some things and learn some things anew along the way too to help me get a better grasp of what's going on here and get into the mindset of of the uh the original hearers of this and and what they're wrestling with and and um but yet have the benefit of the new testament and the fulfillment of things in Christ to help shed light on things that this is pointing to right right and honestly when you get to the end of our canon which is the book of revelation mm-hmm. that book is completely nuanced in the Old Testament. Oh, yeah. You know, and so if you don't know how to reconcile the Old Testament with what's being said and the type of genre of that book that right. is being written in, you're going to come up with some really really poor interpretations of that book, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of speculation. Right. And so um, that's I don't want to say that it's really separate from the study that we're doing because it's the it's the final act of what God has been done reiterated of how he has bought, brought right. his people all the way through history. Yeah, and and to get that final act, I think you and I would agree on this, that in the midst of it, or actually leading up to that final act, in that, that middle heart section of, of Revelation, you know, from probably about, what, chapter 5 to chapter 20, 21, somewhere in there, mm-hmm. It's retelling this story. That, so that's my point. <laughs> All along the right. way, it can, and you know, it's very spiritual, right? Yeah, because we're dealing with exactly. we're dealing with these the, uh, human natures. We're dealing with the spiritual forces. We're dealing with um, false gods. We got we got Satan. We <laughs> we've got leaders. Nations. Of nations that, yeah. you know, so all of it comes together. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's exciting. And I'm already looking forward to what this. So where are you taking us today? We, we, yeah. we, had, we had finished our last episode talking about Moses, the people had just built mm-hmm. an, a, a, a golden calf. Right. Right. And they're saying, this will be our voice piece from God. This is Yahweh. Yeah. And yeah. now what? And, 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 and Moses has to step in because God's going to wipe them off. Yeah, he says, "No, you're, you got it wrong. This is not how this is not how I communicate. I don't do it like the other nations. I've called the people on themselves to make you a holy nation. You're my image bearers. You know, you're you're the ones who carry my name. You don't form some. You don't build some golden calf to carry my name and to speak for me, right? I've made you, yeah, <laughs> right, you know, yeah. You, and know? As, you know, as mad as God was at the people, um, allowing, I kind of expect him to zap Aaron." <laughs> 
You know, because he had, he had said that Moses and Aaron are going to work together and go in, in, front right. of, in front of Pharaoh, and Aaron is listening to the people. So, yeah. I mean, the buck stops somewhere. Yeah. But it, thankfully, it, Moses says, Lord, you got to protect your name here. It's, yeah. all, it's all about, right. you know, and the yet, honor but, of your but name. yet there are 3,000 who lose their life, and Aaron's not one of them, which is yeah. that's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, I hadn't thought of that before until you just said that. I'm like, yeah, why, you know, how does Aaron get spared? Um, Anyway, uh, well, again, I just want to do a quick review to get us back to that point. So, again, we started all of this by looking at God renaming Jacob. And we saw, you know, Jacob is the descendant of Abraham and Isaac, and we see the parallels of their lives. But we go back to why why choose this family? You know, and he he calls Abraham out of the out of the Ur of the Chaldeans, and he says, "Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house into the land I'm going to show you, and I'm going to make you a great nation and bless you and make your name great, so that you'll be a blessing." And some of that, even that whole making of his name great, is response out of Babel um, and the fact that they wanted to make a name for themselves. And so right. we went and we traced back, you know, in a few episodes of Genesis one through eleven, and we saw the fall in Genesis three, the the fall in Genesis six, the fall in Genesis eleven, and God's uh, plan all along to continue and redeem this project of creation where He can dwell with the people, and we can have His the realm of of the heavens of God and his kingdom to be here on earth through his representatives. And so he's starting over with Abraham and his family to be a blessing to the nations. And we got then to the creation account of the nation in the sense of, we'll still probably go back and tell the story of of how they of some things in in Egypt, but he called them out of Egypt. He rescued them. He redeemed them to make him a people. They'd grown in by numbers into a nation, but they haven't really been formed into any kind of unified nation other than they're all of the same 12 tribes. And they have this, they have an ethnic identity even in Egypt, but they don't have a spiritual identity really until Exodus 19, mm-hmm. right? right. Uh, and in some senses, you could say that's there, there's a prelude to that in the Passover, and there's some groundwork being laid for that. But but in terms of a formal covenant relationship with God, that happens in Exodus uh, in 19, and it's ratified in Exodus 24, and we talked about all that as the kind of the creation account of the nation of Israel. And in that, they get laws, and there's covenant stipulations, there's rules, regulations, decrees, right, that describe how they're to live as that priestly nation before the nations. Right. Okay. And then while Moses is up there on the mountain getting these instructions, especially the instructions then on, uh, of the of the tabernacle, uh, where God's going to come and dwell with them in 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 their worship, he comes down and they've they've built the golden calf. And that was what our last episode was about. And so we have creation, we have fall and now we have we're we're going to start looking at God's plan of restoration. We already saw the some of that starting in Exodus 32 as as Moses is interceding for the people reminding God of his name and his glory and 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 asking him not to destroy everyone, right? right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so we already saw a little bit of that, but here in Exodus 33 we get more. And so in Exodus 33:1, now remember just from the narrative story uh, and you know this timing probably a little bit better than me. From the time that they leave, what they have the Passover meal, okay, and they leave and come to Sinai, how many days is that? Yeah, that's a great question. So we know that the Lord established with Moses that this is going to be the first month of the year unto you, yeah. right? So he picks a month, and it's the month of Abib, mm-hmm. which is Nisan now. That's because they get that from the Babylonian time, right? Okay. Well, Passover takes place on the 15th. Okay. Okay. And the the period, or the 14th, why am I thinking? Anyway, it doesn't matter. So in the middle of the mm-hmm. month. So from there, they traverse, and now they're on Mount Sinai. And it, it tells you along the way that when the law comes, we are right on top of Pentecost. Right. So we're, we're literally 50 days right. from the time of... Now, the Passover, again, takes place while they're still living in Egypt. So right. they haven't come out of Egypt yet, so they have to get across the Red Sea. So this is really fast. Right. And, and we know that Moses has been up there for 40 days. Yeah. So they basically got from Passover to the mountain within 10 days. Well, 
not necessarily because the because the law comes on at the time of the Passover, and then he's up there for that period of time. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. the forty days follows the fifty. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. So so anyway, so but it's still happening pretty fast. Yes. Right. So they're at Mount Sinai. And again, all of this is so that they would go in and take possession of the land. So it's like, okay, here we are, verse thirty, verse 1 of chapter 33. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people from whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to you, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. And he says, I will send an angel before you. And you're like, oh, Exodus 23, he promised he's going to send an angel. We talked about that yeah, last time. And he right. said to store it in your filing cabinet, right? Store it in and, there. And now here, here it's coming back up again. Yeah, because, well, well, okay, I won't say it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go no, ahead I was just going to say, because there was he gave some details about the angel. Yeah, the angel had his name in him, right? right? And if, if they don't obey... He wouldn't forgive them. He's, yeah, all that <laughs> stuff. So, yeah. So we see this as this is the Lord with them, right? Right. Um, and so his presence is going to go with them. And now he says, I'll send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he promised. He says, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. Ah, oh, but we have a change here. He says, but. Now, but is an important word in the Bible. And you, often it comes with good news next to it, but mm-hmm. here it's coming with bad news. He says, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Now, the angel before that was going to go with them, if he went with them and they disobeyed, what did he say why he would do? He would consume them. Mm. Yeah. But now he's saying, this angel, it seems to me like here, this angel's different because this angel doesn't carry the presence of the Lord in some way. He's still an agent of the Lord because the Lord's going to drive out all these peoples. But he says, I can't go with you because if I do, I'm, I'm going to consume you, right? Yeah, that is, um, that is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this angel is still powerful enough to lead them through and drive out the people right. of the exist, you know, of that nation, of the Canaanite land. Right. But yet he says yeah. he's not going. It's it just, there's an interesting change. Now, why the change? Well, I think Exodus 32 is the reason, right? It's the, you know, if God dwelling with the sinful people, he's going to consume them. So he's relenting. He's still going to let him go into the land. He's going to keep his promise, okay? But he said, I'm not going to go with you. So how does Moses respond? Well, well, how do the people respond? He says, when the people heard this disastrous word, <laughs> they mourned and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you're a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. Now, the people here are understanding something. They're understanding that if he doesn't go with us, if our God doesn't go with us, this is disastrous. What is the narrative telling us about the whole purpose of this project? Wow. Um, these types of questions are fun because I don't know how to answer them you the way that you're going. going. I don't know where you're going, but I'm gonna just going to shoot okay. for, from the hip on this okay. one a little bit. This section here in these verses demonstrate to me that the people have learned a lesson. Yeah. Right. This right. Is, that's 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 the simplest form that I can say. They they recognize that without the true God leading them and directing them as he just did out of Egypt, right. you know, two months before, you know, they yeah. they're they're hopeless. Exactly. That part of the whole project is for God to dwell with the people. And if he's like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and send you into the land, I'm going to let you get rid of the people, but I'm not going to go with you, you know, what's the point? Yeah. So I didn't, so I, you're basically telling me that I didn't miss your. You got it. Yeah. Wow. A plus. <laughs> I, I really had no idea. It happens to me. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's, it's fairly evident, but I, but I think. Well, thanks we, a lot. <laughs> but, I, well, no, but I think we can miss that. Yeah. Well, right? yeah. And I hadn't been thinking about yeah, it, right? Right. So. If, if we keep going, I'm going to jump down to verse 7. Well, before I, before I get there, um, to the tent of meaning, uh, they, they have this whole thing is, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. And so there's, you know, there's still this, you know, even like what did they fashion this golden calf out of, right? They had these earrings and stuff. And so it's like, 
Did they, when they left Egypt, did they, were they taking some of Egypt with them? Well, maybe, and you know, where I'm going, where I was thinking when you were reading about the golden calf, I was thinking about Mount Bashan mm. or, you know, Mount Hermon. Okay. Because the strong bulls of Bashan, I'm thinking of Jesus Christ from the cross. Yeah. Quote, quoting the Psalm, the strong bulls of Bashan, which right. I'll take. So the, the bull imagery is, is really weird, or maybe it's popular in, in, Mm-hmm. The image of gods and stuff like right. that, but yeah, does it go all the way back to Egypt, or does it go back prior to that? It could, yeah, yeah. It's interesting that, that that's there, but yeah. So, that how did they form that calf? Where they used the gold, right? That they'd taken out of Egypt, right? And and with that, they'd taken with it the, this understanding of, and maybe even the stuff they carried with them into Egypt from. From these other, you know, Canaanite religions and things, right? Gosh, I haven't even thought about this, but sorry. No, that's all right. <laughs> um, well, the Lord have has Israel plunder Egypt from all their gold, which you right. were just saying, yeah. right? But that was those materials were to build the tabernacle huh. and the furniture in the tabernacle. And now, what have they done with it? They built an idol. Yeah. So. There's right. n- there's no, there's no there, the contrast is getting stronger in my mind. Yeah. Even to what's going on, but you know what else is kind of interesting now that we talked about the calf mm-hmm. is that the the golden laver that's in the um or the brass laver that's in the in the court where the priest wash you know there's the altar the bronze altar but where the laver is the laver sets on top of four cows mm. and I always kind of wondered what. What that is about too? Oh, that is interesting. So there, we have to do a yeah a study on cows now, I guess, or cattle. <laughs> I'll let you tackle that. It, well, it's got well some type of animal of burden. It's a beast yeah, of burden, right, right? Right? Yeah, yeah. And and they are sacrifice. I mean, they sacrifice sheep. They sacrifice goats, but they also sacrifice cows. I mean, they, right. they sacrifice bulls and, sure. and things like that too. So um, they get rid of that stuff. It, you know, symbolically saying they're leaving all that stuff behind and they're going into the land. Devoted to Yahweh, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you would think, okay, let's let's move on and let's let's talk about the trip. You know, let's get to the the book of Numbers. You know, should be coming up here pretty soon because that that book is actually about it's it's actually the Hebrew title is in the wilderness, right? And so right. that actually, you know, and there's a reason that it's in the wilderness because they, as you mentioned last time, they don't get to go in for forty years. Right. I but, think more people would read that book if it was still called in the in wilderness. The, right. Probably. <laughs> uh, all there are, you do have to get through some lists of genealogies and how right. to number the camp and all that kind of stuff. But, but for yeah. the most part, it um, it is very interesting. It's all part of the same narrative here, so uh, it, it picks up uh, on on some of this. But you'd expect from there get that, but instead we have this little paragraph about Moses takes a tent and pitches it outside the camp and, and calls it the tent of assembly, seeking uh, and all seeking Yahweh to go out of the tent of assembly, which was, which was outside the camp. And it's like, okay, what's going on here? What, why, why do we need to know this? I thought he already had the instructions for the tabernacle, mm-hmm. you know, and the tabernacle was supposed to be in the midst of the camp, you know, but now he's having to build this other tent outside the camp. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. the 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 presence of God can't be in the midst of the camp. You know, there's there's holiness rules that apply here, right? right. And that whole purpose of that tabernacle, when it's in the middle of that, has segments of going from. Um, the unclean, which is outside the camp, as you and you're progressively getting more holy as right. you get to the holy exactly. place. And so, I Moses, when he meets with the Lord in the tent of meeting, is got to be outside the camp for that particular right. reason, right? And with that, the people, although they can see evidence of that meeting taking place, they never, they never are in the presence right. of that. Right. Well, yeah, and I think that's what's very interesting. He just said, "I can't go with you." Otherwise, I'll consume you. And so Moses, but Moses wants to meet with him and talk to him about that, but he has to do it outside the camp mm. to protect the people. <laughs> yeah, right? That's true. You know, oh, in yeah. some senses, it's, it's, it's to protect the people. And, uh, and so it talks about how he would do this, 
And it says, and at the going out of Moses to the tent, all the people would rise and stand, each opening of his tent, and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. And at the entering of Moses into the tent, the column of cloud would descend and stand at the opening of the tent. And the people would rise and bow and worship at each at the opening of his tent. And Yahweh would speak Moses face to face as a man would speak to his neighbor. And he would return to the camp and his assistant Joshua um, would would remain there. He didn't leave the middle of the tent. So we see this desire now for Moses to meet face to face. And we see, we saw before that he was acting as a mediator. And and so here God said, I'm not going to go with you. And now here Moses is meeting with him face to face. You know, and what are they going to talk about? Well, we get then the account in the rest at the end of 33 of Moses wanting to see God's glory. And so, um, but to lead up to that, we see this whole presence of God thing come up again, right? So Moses says to Yahweh in verse 12, See, you're saying to me, take this people up, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. And you yourself have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my eyes. And now, if I found favor in your eyes, make known to me, please, your way, and so I may go, so I may know you, so that I can find favor in your eyes and see that this nation is your people. Mm-hmm. So he's concerned that if God's not going up with, if Yahweh's not going with them, are they still really your people? Right? Uh, and he said, my presence will go and I will give you rest. And so here in this intercession and Moses, you know, playing this role of, of, of you know, he's, he's their prophet in some way, but he's also in some senses inter- acting as the priest, you know, interceding, go the go-between between the people and and Yahweh, right? Mm-hmm, right. And and so the, Yahweh says, my presence will go, and then he says, I'll give you rest. Now, when you read that, what should be popping up in our mind from the scriptures? Well, I'm, I'm going all the way to the New Testament. Okay. You're going ahead. All right. Yeah. I'm 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 gonna go back first. Okay. Okay. I'm going back to Genesis in the creation account. What does God do when he finishes his work of creation? Gotcha. Yeah. He so, rests. Yep. Right. Right. And he's inviting the people in 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 basically Adam and Eve in the garden are to be at rest with God, right? Uh, if they guard and keep <laughs> right. guarded the way they should, yeah. they'll be at rest uh, as God is resting, you know, on his throne. Well, if, if he's going to go with them, and if we think about his, if he goes with them in the tabernacle, and if we think about the Ark of the Covenant as his throne, <laughs> he's going to rest on his throne um, with the people and in his doing that, he's going to give them rest. They're going to have rest because God's with them, right? right? Um, and so, uh, right. And the ark, by the way, just to clarify that a little bit, the ark itself is actually the footstool, the, the, right? The throne is, is the angels, right? Uh, yeah, so, above that. So, so, the, so, the so the throne's above it, and then you have right. But but that ark represents the dominion, right? Which is. Yeah, the earth, right? There's the, there's the, the earth is it, heaven's footstool. It says in the Psalms. Exactly. Right. So now, so right, and then and what's 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 inside the footstool? What's inside the ark? Yeah, it's going to be anyway the covenant, <laughs> the covenant, the, 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 <laughs> the, the tablets, co- right? right. Yeah. So it, this is this yeah. is this is so important to right. um, have a better aspect, not a, not a better aspect, but a, a more broad aspect of all of this Old Testament stuff means something. It's, again, take it to Revelation. Yeah. It's going to come back up again, right? Exactly. And so th- these are these are great things. I, I get right. I get ahead of myself. No, so. it is, it's because Moses then says in verse fifteen, "If your presence is not going, don't bring us up from here." Yeah, we, we're not going. There's no point, yeah. right? And by what will be known then if I found favor in your eyes and and I your people? Uh, is it not by your going with us? It's it's we're going to be known because you go with us is what he's saying, and so we will be distinguished. And I and your people, and from all your people who are on the face of the ground or the face of the earth, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, 
It, it brings us all the way back to Abram. They would be a blessing to the nations. How? Because they're going to carry the name of Yahweh with them, the third commandment, right? Because they're not making other idols, the second commandment, because they only have one true God, Yahweh. Right. Right? And so this is the Decalogue being played out in this, right? Uh, and, and, and so um, Yahweh says to Moses, I will do this thing and you've spoken because you found favor in my eyes and I've known you by name. Here's this whole thing of the name again. Yeah, well, intimacy. he's reiterating what Moses just asked him to remember. You know, exactly. you called me by name, so God, yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, okay. exactly. Um, and, and now what does he want? What does Moses want in verse 18 as a result of this conversation? Show me your glory. <laughs> Let me... Moses, do you know what you're asking for? <laughs> wow, yeah. Now, what is glory? Um, glory is... Uh, reputation, renown, and it, it comes from this word heaviness, right? This significance, this the kavod uh, of God. To to see the fullness of God's reputation, his honor, his name. Now, what's interesting, it said before he, he'd already been meeting in the tent of meeting face-to-face with God, right? So what's he want, what's different about, you know, why is he asking to see his glory when he's already been meeting him face-to-face? This has always kind of puzzled me. A little bit. Uh, do you have a, have you ever thought of that? Um, maybe, but you know, the the way that the Lord has come to Moses in the past has not been in the fullness mm-hmm. of His glory. You know, we have the burning bush incidents, or we've we, or we've had an angel. Um, it speaks of when He's in the tent of meeting that He meets as a man face to face. So. Um, there, there is an aspect that Moses is perhaps asking, like he wants to see the fullness. Yeah. So well, I think it's important. It says as a man meets face to face, he's not literally meeting face to face with God. Right. But there's, there's the second person of the Trinity that's, that's inferred in that with the word of God as that aspect, right. As the Lord speaks in the word of God and, and his name being in him that, the angel of the Lord sometimes appears in the form of a man. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's why I said that, but it, yeah, it's not a man, but. But it, it's, it's veiled in some way. It's, it's it some is. kind of embodiment. Right. Right. That, that maybe that is, is doing that. And maybe even the tent itself is, is supplying some kind of separation that, that, you know, uh, that is there, but the, um, but he wants to see the glory of God. And so what does God say? Um, to him, he says, I myself will cause all my goodness to pass over before you, and I'll proclaim the name of Yahweh before you, and I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I'll show compassion on whom I show compassion. Um, which is interesting because later when he speaks his name, he's going to you know use some of this terminology here. But we see this uh, quoted later in the in the New Testament, right? Uh, in terms of I, I will be gracious to, I'll be gracious, I'll have compassion, I'll have compassion. I think Paul uses this, you know, mm-hmm. in, in some of his letters to talk about God's sovereignty and, and right. doing things uh, and, and so forth. Well, yeah, and look at what he's proclaiming here in 19. He's proclaiming the name. Yeah. He says right. the name, not my name, which is yeah. interesting. Yeah, the name of Yahweh. And and so, um, he, but he says, you're not going to be able to see my face. Because a human will not see me and live. Again, that's very interesting given the fact that the tent of meeting, it says he met him as a man meets face right. to face. I mean, he hasn't really able to see the face of God. And then 22, when my glory passes over, I'll, I'm going to put you in the rock's crevice and I'll cover my hand until I pass over and I'll remove my hand and you'll be able to see my back, but my face will not be visible. <laughs> so um, again, this is all speaking to the glory of God. It, you know, it's like, you can't look into the sun directly. You know, you're going to have to put on some really special glasses. And and basically, when you do, you're going to have to wait till, you know, basically the uh, the eclipse is almost, you know, think about an eclipse, right? I'm going to let you see, you know, a little sliver, <laughs> you know, right. kind of of this. But if you can't look directly in, yeah. you're not going to be able to take yeah. it. Yeah, and we're millions of miles away from the sun. So st- imagine standing <laughs> four feet away and, re- and taking off the glasses, right? Right. So, um so then he in in chapter thirty four he then he he's uh, he's up there he gets the the two stone tablets and he descends on the cloud and he hides him in the cleft of the rock and 
he says, he proclaims his name, Yahweh, Yahweh, God who's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loyal love with faithfulness, keeping loyal love to thousands, keeping in forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and he does not leave utterly punished, punishing the guilty of the fathers and sons and the sons in the third and fourth generations. And so he, again, we see the great contrast there between his, the extent of his compassion and, the, and, and he's a God who judges, he's righteous, he does what's right, and, and he will punish sin, but his grace abounds so much greater. Uh, again, pointing to the, you know, to Jesus in the future. And we see that even um, as Paul in Romans talks about, you know, um, God's grace abounding so much greater than sin. That's not giving us license to sin, right? But it is so much more, right? right? And he and he does punish sin, and Jesus himself bears the, you know, the burden of that. Right, sure. Uh, so, uh, so from here then, uh, they... Uh, there's more covenant stimulation, stipulations and so forth. More, Moses comes down. And then um, if following this account, then in chapter 35, what do they do? They build the tabernacle. So we had the instructions of the tabernacle before this, but we had the golden calf incident. And Moses has to meet in the tent outside the camp. And now we have the building of the tabernacle and after its construction, God is going to fill it and dwell with them, and he's going to go with them in the midst of them mm-hmm. in the pillar in the cloud, wow. yeah. right? And so it's very interesting that if you, if you don't see the tent of meeting that's outside the camp in context of the whole narrative, right? and you don't see this interaction and intercession with Moses and what he desires and God's his presence and him being able to speak his name he speaks his name and then the tabernacle is built then he fills the tabernacle and they go and we'll see in the book of numbers then that he actually will go with them and so uh that whole narrative scope is so important because the people of God are carrying the name with them and we see him wanting to dwell with them and and when Jesus comes in John chapter 1, what does he say he came to do? He came and dwelt among them. He dwelt among them, God with them, that God is coming. And why does he need, why does he need to come back? We'll get there with the story of the exile and everything later on for the people of God. But the point for the people of God is that God would dwell with them. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, so when we go back to this question of who are the people of God today, the people of God today are the people who he dwells with. Right. And what do we see in the New Testament? That, that we see Jesus, we've, we've talked about Pentecost, right? And after his resurrection, and he goes and he ascends the right hand of God, what does he do? He sends the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes and, and dwells his people, right? And so the people of God are the people who he, who he dwell in, and Peter talks about who is the new temple? <laughs> Who's the new tabernacle? This is the this is the big thing, right? Okay, so Christ on the cross, when he dies and gives up his spirit, what happens in, in the in the temple? Yeah. The the, the curtain is, it, is torn, torn in two, two right. right? And now, as you just said, at Pentecost, he comes, the spirit comes, the Shekinah comes right. and fills people up, right. and the church becomes the tabernacle of God yeah. to... Have a a thought that the future building of the temple is somehow relevant, again, takes a chip out of what God has already done in the story. Yeah, yeah. And and so that's part of the reason I wanted to spend so much time on this. And we see here the corporate Adam with his creation, fall, redemption account. And in that redemption and God going in, he's going to go into the land with the people. Now it's interesting that we're going to have another fall account in oh, numbers, yes, yeah. in numbers, right? Because he's going to send spies out into the land, and they don't act in faith. They don't go into the land, which potentially is that a parallel to them not going up in the mountain? With well, look God? at the warning know. that's given here in, in thirty four and eleven. You know, yeah. because he's already said, you know, I'm going to go out and drive out these people before you, the Amorites, the Canaanites, right. the Hittites. But beware, lest you cut a covenant with the inhabitants inhabitants of the land into which you are going, lest it become a snare in your midst. He's worried about the false gods of the nation. He is. Yeah. You know, he's, right. you know, he's warning them right. of that because there's one true God. So 
there's so much going on in that land of Canaan. Right. But this is this is where a study in First and Second Samuel becomes important, right? Because <laughs> King David, mm-hmm. in whom the lineage would be fulfilled yeah. as the true king of Israel, goes through and, and he is he's the giant killer. Right. You know, which are serving all these false gods, which have heritage in the fa- false gods of, of the nation. And by the time David is done with the kingdom, there, there is no more Nephilim left. Yeah. There's no more Raphaim left, right? What's left at the time of Jesus Christ? Demons. Mm-hmm. There's a whole other story behind that. But the, the, the spiritual power um, warning still exists. It's still, it's still there, but the taking of the land has been accomplished in sovereign promise to a king that would be selected by the Lord, because remember the people wanted a king and the Lord gave him Saul. Yeah. Right. And he says, Nope, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when it's going to, it's going to come. Yeah. And it's it's going to be in, in David's lineage. Right. And it's not only going to be in his lineage, but he's going to be the root of Jesse, who is the father of David. So the, the, the source, the whole, the whole aspect of hey, there's this so king, much to the story. Right? The, the conquering king has finally come. And what has he conquered? He's conquered death. Right. right? Sin, death, and evil. Right. right? And he's made a way for God to permanently dwell amongst his people, in the midst of his people, within his people. Yeah. 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 So, again, there, there's so many, there's so much Old Testament to, to, to continue to kind of get to. We'll have to lay out just how long we want this season to be. Six or seven years. But, but, yeah, no. the, but back to this, as it relates to this telling of this story. Yes. Of, of, the recognition that unless God goes with them, there's no point in going, and that God promises to go with them. And we see that in the tabernacle, he's willing to do this. And, and the, you know, all the things, the laws and the things of being able to cover sin and atone for sin and um, demonstrate, you know, the, the links God goes to to protect people so that he won't consume them. And so that's kind of what I wanted to get to here to end a little bit is, you know, I and I think I've said this before on the podcast is, um, you know, I used to think, I used to say God can't be in the presence of sin. Right. And in one sense, that's true. But the, the it's, since, it's true in the sense that God doesn't want to consume his people. Um God has found a way to be in the presence of sin. What he's doing is he's protecting the people so that he doesn't consume them because of their sin, right? Um, that's what he's doing. He's found a way through the sacrifices and the tabernacle and the things to represent a, a, a way that he can dwell with the people without consuming them so that their sin is covered and that they can be pure in his sight, not because they're without sin, but because their sin has been covered. Mm-hmm. Right and and even the the um, after effects of sin, the ripples, the remnants of sin which death brings, like even the whole purity laws that that show that he finds ways to to remedy that so that they would know his presence stays with them and that they they understand what it mean what the effects of the fall and sin bring to this earth, and so he he has all these things that show them how worship points to him as the pure, true, holy God who's unaffected by this. And that actually, if those things come into his presence, they don't destroy God. God destroys them. God has no kryptonite <laughs> like Superman, <laughs> yeah, right? right? That actually everything else that, that's impure in his presence will be refined like by his fire. you know. And so um, how is he going to dwell with them? He dwells with them through this, which all point to Jesus, right? Who is the one who came and tabernacled among us, and we now have a covering in him. We have the blood of his sacrifice covers us so that we can have a fellowship meal with him. Think of the Lord's Supper, right? We have the bread of his body who was sacrificed on our behalf so that our body wouldn't have to die. His died on our behalf. And so we are able to partake of him to be in fellowship with God. And we have the blood of his sacrifice, which covers our sins, which washes us clean so that we can sit down at the meal, almost like in the tent of meeting, right? We, in the new covenant, are able to, through Christ, be in direct fellowship with God. 
and meet with him face to face, you know, through the body and blood of Jesus and the presence of his spirit can now, he can actually indwell this body, which still sins because the blood of Jesus is covering me. Yeah. And so, so he dwells with me and with us as a corporate body that it really does exist here on earth. Um, and, and, and we have his spiritual presence with us. And so I can then say, I'm the people of God, as Peter tells me I, that I am, right? Yes. And more – And okay, so we got a couple minutes left. The tabernacle, when it is set up, we've got God in the, in the middle, in the, mm-hmm. in the Holy of Holies. We've got the tabernacle, and it's surrounded by the Levites, and then it's surrounded by right. the tribes. Yeah. That imagery is what with the Lord in the center – what does that look like as far as it's it it it's a it's looks like they call it the camp right mm-hmm. but it really is designed after in the ancient near eastern times the way a king would would go out and leave the city with his army right. and so it, it is it's an army encampment that is traveling you know to take possession of the land that they're going to take Right. And so we have we have the king in the middle of his people. Yes. Right. The encampment of the of the army being led by the angel of God. Mm-hmm. And now move forward to Christ. Yeah. And Jesus shows up and says, Behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Well, how can he say that? Because he is the king. <laughs> right. Right. And that king exists and when he comes and shows up, he shows his dominion over all of the spirit realm, right? He's casting out demons, right? right? He's healing people, the, the, the effects of, of the sin and the fall. Then he goes to the cross. He puts the spiritual realm to open shame that's against him, and he sends his spirit now, after he raises from the dead, right. conquering death, he sends his spirit back into a tabernacle. That's right. Which is the church, which is the body of Christ on earth. Does the kingdom of God exist on earth? Yes. Yes, in the form of right. in the form of the church because right. because he dwells here, right? Now, there's a greater reality yet to happen. Right. Right? It's so that that kingdom has been inaugurated. Right. It started, and it, it actually exists in a, I would call a body politic. But that body politic was not given the assignment to um, go take possession of a land. It was actually to go, I would say, infil- more like infiltrate. It was, it was actually to go into all the nations, not to establish borders and and a kingdom with an army right. that 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 rules by a sword, a physical sword. But actually, we go into every nation and we carry the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which proclaims the gospel of the King. And so, how do we rule? We rule through proclamation. We and we rule through actually laying down our life like our Savior did. Yes, the church right? militant is all about the proclamation of the word. That's the double-edged sword. It's not right. about going in and taking over land by force. It's by the proclamation of his word, and the gates of hell will not prevail exactly. against that, right? And right. that's that's a... And that, that kingdom, which is coming to earth as it is in heaven, will one day be consummated in the new heaven and the new earth, which will be the heavenly city, all of... Earth in the new te- in the in Revelation we'll go there at some point is is described as the New Jerusalem is the you know the Zion where 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 the God dwells becomes the entire Earth right right and it's so that is the consummation but we are to live right now as new creations as resurrected spiritual beings right we're resurrected we're we have the we are born again into into a new life into a new creation we live into that as if it's already fully here we know it's not but we live with the hope of of it already being here we enter the rest of the fact that we know it's fully and finally coming one day right our citizenship is heaven but here right. we are as ambassadors of Christ right. with a mission the great commission <laughs> yeah which if you look around 
the gospel right now is spread to all the earth, right? It's yeah. in it's in China, it's in India, it's in all the Muslim nations, right? right. It's it is happening. It's victorious, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's and that's why I think, you know, when you look at the gospel message, I kind of would say that the white horse in the beginning of Revelation mm-hmm. is Christ because that rider on the right horse goes forth like the gospel, conquering and to conquer. Exactly. Right? And then later we see him with a sword where? Coming out of his mouth. Coming out of his mouth. Yeah. He doesn't have it in his hand as if he's going to wield it. No. He's speaking it into the nations. He is the word, and it's by the power of his word that he destroys. It's Right. Yeah, I'm, let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> this is really good. We gotta Let's pick this up again next time. Uh, where do you think um, we'll go know. next time? I don't know. We need to talk. Uh, do we... Do we look at what happens in numbers and why they can't enter the land yet? I think that might be a good idea. Um, yeah, yeah we, maybe we should do that. At some point, I, w- I do want us to look back. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll wait till we get to, to Romans. But I want us to look back because I, I, I'm still fascinated with Genesis 49. Uh, I, I want to look at Genesis 49. I, as, and I, I want to look at... And there's this whole interesting story in, in Numbers, too, with Balak and Balaam and, and some <laughs> this prophet who speaks these things. But we need to see this. God keeps making these promises to Jacob and his family. And to see how this is being fulfilled is very important. And I think we see how the New Testament writers seeing it fulfilled becomes very important, especially as, as we see the unfolding of the people of God, because what ends up happening um, later on down the line, when they do pay, take possession of land, is another interesting passage is the end of Joshua, because at the end of the Joshua, it almost seems as if God has fulfilled his promise of them having possession of the land right. at the end of Joshua. But yet, as you bring up in Samuel, there's still these battles they're having to fight with these giants, which is an interesting thing. Do they ever really get full possession of the land? And then once they do become a united nation in the land, it really only lasts 120 years. Yeah. And then they get divided, and then one of those gets dispersed, and and, and then the other gets later, a few hundred years later, or 120 years, whatever, gets carried off into exile, right? I mean, it's just, it's crazy, how is God working all this out? It, it, it becomes the, the whole story of the people and the nation of Israel is it's a striving. It, there's a lot of contention <laughs> right. within that, um, which all, all to say it makes us asking, how's God going to finish it, right? Well, it's interesting that Jesus in his coming says it's finished. <laughs> so, um, yeah. anyway, maybe we'll go to numbers. Let should we just keep going with the story of them leaving Sinai and see what they do in the yeah. wilderness? Well, we'll we'll leave it a bit of a mystery for the people. Okay. We'll we'll, we'll, <laughs> sleep, we'll sleep on it and see where we go. All right. But, but thanks for leading us here tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Have a good night. Yep. Next time, we will continue our narrative of Israel as they begin their years wandering in the desert. Planet is a Cornerstone EPC production, connecting to God, one another, and the world through the love of Jesus. More information can be found at cornerstonebrighton.com.